All right. So, well, it's good to be here. First of all, I know I got a chance to meet, <clears throat> I think, nearly everybody. I didn't get a, ch a chance to meet you guys in the back. So, my name is Rich. Uh, I hope to meet you in between. Uh, so, yeah, good to see you guys. Um, yeah, so basically, uh, over the last several years, actually since 2013, I've been a huge fan of this guy named Jay Gresham Machen. Has anybody ever heard of him before? Yeah, there we go. A few other fans of Machen here. <laughs> I know Tom is. We had a conversation about a month ago about Machen a little bit. But uh, yeah, not quite the household name, right? Of course, some time has passed since, uh, you know, since he was alive and, and well. And, um, but back in the day, though, um, he was definitely one of the key players in the Presbyterian Church, uh, the mainline you know, PCUSA Presbyterian Church in the United States of America. And um, <clears throat> he, in many ways... Um, was a man who uh, was devoted to the gospel at all costs. And those of you who are well-read in Machen, or at least have heard of his name, uh, you probably know that he started Westminster Theological Seminary in 1929, you know, pulled out of Princeton as they were going more liberal in their theology. Uh, he also pulled out of the mainline Presbyterian Church in 1936. He, along with so many pastors and elders, and, uh, come on in, Andy. And, um, I, you know, he started this, this denomination called the Orthodox Presbyterian Church to actually help, again, combat theological liberalism. Uh, back then, it was known as not just liberalism, but also modernism. You know, today we hear a lot, of about, a lot about, like, post-modernity or post-liberalism. You know, this is all, of course, 100 years removed from what he was dealing with. But modernism essentially was saying, look, we, we don't really know if Christ... Uh, existed. I mean, if he did, he was probably just a good person, a moral teacher, that kind of thing. Uh, at best, you know, we doubt that these miracles in the scriptures actually happened. Uh, certainly, he wasn't born of a virgin. I mean, he couldn't have risen from the dead, of course. That's impossible. Who can rise from the dead? I mean, think of the Sadducees in scripture. That was essentially what the modernists were 100 years ago. Now, thankfully, this way of thinking and this really just bad unbiblical theology has mostly passed out of existence 100 years later, but it has transformed, though, into what we now know of as post-liberal theology. This is what they're teaching at Yale, Harvard, a lot of other places, even Princeton in many ways. A lot of times they're actually teaching what they call uh, neo-orthodoxy, right? They try to reinvent the wheel and kind of get back a little bit to the Bible, but they didn't go all the way. Long story short, though, Machen saw this coming more than 100 years ago and decided to actually write this book called Christianity and Liberalism back in 1923. Amazing book. Um, I believe it has been considered, I think even Christianity Today many years ago, considered to be like one of the top 10 books in the last century, like the top 10 Christian books in the last century. Like one of those that you just have to read. And if you read it nowadays, like even 100 years removed, right? You know, 2023, 1923, you'd think it was just written yesterday. No joke. I mean, so powerful. I want to start with a quote from that book, again, Christianity and Liberalism, where Machen says this. He said, Christ died. That is history. But Christ died for our sins. That is doctrine. Without these two elements, right, history and doctrine, joined in an absolutely indissoluble union, there is no Christianity. You guys catch the difference there, right? History is what happened, right? Doctrine is, no, 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 this actually does something for us, salvifically. Christ died, yes, that's history, but Christ died for our sins. Like, he loved me and gave himself for me. That changes everything. 
But if it's not rooted in history, then it doesn't mean a thing, right? Just like Paul wrote to the Corinthians. You, know, you take away the resurrection from our faith and you lose everything. Well, that's what was happening in the Presbyterian church in the USA. And honestly, even the Baptist churches back then, the Methodist churches, even in part, the Episcopalian churches. It wasn't just the Presbyterians who were wrestling with these things, but it definitely was happening in the Presbyterian church. And so Machen basically said, look, like I'm teaching at Princeton. Like he was one of the best scholars of his day. Uh, he was teaching there, you know, a pastor, guest preaching at as many churches as he could. Come on in, guys. Um, and, and yet, he was willing to lose everything for the sake of the gospel. And the big question as we hear this kind of story is, are we men and women who'd be willing to do the same in today's culture? I mean, it might be an easy question to answer. Of course, yes. Like, I'd give all for Christ, but would you give your role or your job as Machen did, you know, as a pastor? Uh, he was later actually removed from the ministry, no joke, for literally teaching the gospel unashamedly. Um, he refused to give in, and they actually kicked him out of the PCUSA for doing that. Would we be willing to actually go against the tide of culture? Not to be obstinate, not to be rebellious for rebellious sake, of course, right? Like some angsty teenager or something, right? <laughs> I feel like all of us as teenagers can probably relate, at least in years past, you know, you know, us against the man kind of thing. That wasn't Machen's modus operandi, though. It wasn't his M.O. His M.O. was basically, hey, like, I will sacrifice everything, even my life and my livelihood for the gospel. I have a picture to show you guys here. A few of them, actually, really. It's kind of like show and tell, right? <laughs> Did you guys all like, like show and tell back in grade school? <laughs> I'm, I'm extroverted by nature, so I was actually that kid who was like, let me show you everything, and I still do it to my friends all these, all these years later. we got pictures. Let me show you. Um, this one right here is a great one. It's, uh, you know, this is back when, you know, people didn't smile in pictures. <laughs> so, you know, if he looks a little stern, he was actually a happy person. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, he, um, that, that was his professional shot, right? He was mug shot. <laughs> but that's Machen right there, though. Uh, I believe he was around 45 or so at that point when that uh, uh, photograph was taken. But I, I love this photo because it shows who he was in the midst of adversity. He had gone through so much, you know, fought the good fight of faith, sacrificed so much, and he was still in the thick of it as this was taken. Still fighting the good fight, boldly and yet humbly, you know. Not, not perfectly, <laughs> admittedly, nobody can do it perfectly, but with boldness and with humility in such a way that he could actually, with confidence, keep moving forward in Christ and in Christ alone. His favorite life verse was Galatians 2.20 which says, you know, the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And I love that verse. And one thing when I look at Machen's life, and I've been studying his life for the last like 10 years now, since 2013, wrote several papers on it uh, back at Liberty when I was uh, doing my seminary degree through Liberty University in Lynchburg. My last class on church history, I got actually approved by a Baptist uh, uh, professor to write a whole paper on a Presbyterian minister at a Baptist school. And I'm like, okay, I'll take it. <laughs> so I did, and I wrote a whole paper on him. And that just, you know, was the beginning of my, and, you know, honestly just, um, infatuation sounds weird, but just like a, you know, like a love and appreciation for Machen, right? For all things of what he had done. And um, from that point forward, though, I ended up writing several other papers and one trend that I found, especially uh, for Westminster and others, uh, their publications and all, 
And one of the things that I love the most is that the older and older he got, his ministry, especially his preaching ministry at uh, Princeton uh, Seminary and also at Princeton Presbyterian Church in New Jersey, where he did a lot of his preaching ministry. But I noticed that his sermons in the 19-teens changed quite a bit by the later 1920s and even especially the mid-1930s, right before he passed. Um, They were very heavy in terms of you know, us versus the liberals and us conservatives, you know, us fundamentalists, that, that was kind of language back then, you know, us versus them. And of course he was fearful of what would happen if the church would fall prey to liberalism. So he was, he was meaning well, but a lot of it was us versus them, us versus them, us versus them, right? In the 19 teens. Of course, who knows the context of the 19 teens, you know, going on in the world, right? Exactly, the Great War, right? Is what they called it back then, World War I, is what we know it as now. That was going on. Uh, he actually went overseas to not engage in combat because he was um, kind of a pacifist in many ways. But he did actually go there to serve, um, essentially just serving the needs of uh, those who were serving, combatively speaking. And he saw it firsthand. He saw this, this wreckage going on within the church as liberalism was creeping in and, and getting deeper and deeper into the life of the church, and changing how they did worship and you know, removing the gospel message from their sermons, things of that nature. He saw it especially in Germany when he went to go study there, again, in the 19-teens. Um, uh, Karl Barth, for those who might know that name, literally Machen and Barth were only a year apart. They were both trained at Marburg for a whole year, but they missed each other by one year. Of course, Barth, as many of us know, some of you might know, he, he went liberal in his theology and kind of came back, kind of, and then he invented this thing called neo-orthodoxy, which is kind of like a weird half-and-half, half, like half-liberal, half-conservative theology. Well, Machen, of course, saw what was going on in Germany. He's like, no, this is so wrong. And as he learned more and more, when he came back to the States, he couldn't help but then just insist, we cannot, at Princeton, where he was teaching, we cannot bend the knee to this. There's this tide of theological liberalism, which takes away the true gospel, and the historicity especially, of our faith, and divorces history from our doctrine. You can't separate the two. Because when you separate the two, you end up creating a whole different religion. And as the title of his book, Christianity and Liberalism, you know, what he was saying is that these are not the same things at all. It's not Christianity with liberalism. <laughs> it's Christianity and liberalism. They're two separate things. We can't have theological liberalism. And for the record, by the way, I'm not saying, you know, today's politics. I'm not talking about, you know, liberal thinking or whatever, or even like classical liberalism. In fact, actually, Mason was a classical liberal even back in his day. So he wasn't saying political liberalism. What he was saying was when, when Christianity is divorced from history due to the pursuit of knowledge at all costs at the expense of the Bible, you know, and trying to divorce true intellect from our faith, that produces liberalism. And so these things are very different. The liberal biblically speaking worldview is not Christianity. We can't mix these two things up. So I know I've said a lot already. That's a lot of info. Um, I would actually love to have more of a conversation with you guys at this point, but just a quick question for you. Like I kind of mentioned the idea of would you be willing to, you know, defend the faith, right? Would you be willing to actually like lose everything for the sake of the gospel? How maybe have you had to experience that in your own life? Maybe in the job or the workforce, 
um, maybe in your school, public school, university? Where, where have you seen this kind of tension, you know, against the Christian faith in your own way of life? Friendships. Friendships, yeah. I'm sorry to hear that. Because that, that hits home a whole lot more than just the workplace does. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Well, it's sort of why we are here. Yeah. The Good Shepherd mm-hmm. today because yeah. we, we saw <clears throat> what was happening in the church with the many of us were in. And um, we just said we can't. It, maybe it's not, maybe it wasn't full, full blown, but it was going there. Yeah. It was like we can't do this anymore. Right. And you saw the early signs of it, right? And, and I'm sure, um, speaking from the heart here, <laughs> I was joking with Tom earlier, by the way. It's like I could, I could wake up in the middle of the night and talk about Machen <laughs> for hours. So, so if I'm a little scattered, that's why. <laughs> There's just so much to try to cover in like one hour. But to your point, though, Colleen, yeah, like you guys saw the early signs of it happening, right? So many of you, from the stories I've heard already, and you were concerned. Not, not, not fearful, of course, of what might happen, but rather just concerned, like, this is not good, this is not healthy uh, for the long run. I mean, for, for our families, for our kids, like, do we want them to learn that, you know, going off and doing social justice is the answer, devoid of the gospel? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. But honestly, and this is where it gets real and raw, honestly, for us. And I've been in these positions myself, too, honestly. I've, I've served as a pastor in Charlottesville, uh, once as a church planter, and then once as a pastor, two separate churches, and then again in Culpeper, Virginia, and then back in Lynchburg a few times. And um, it's happening up there, especially in Charlottesville too, Charlottesville, Virginia, yeah. especially up there. Um, good, solid, even PCA churches, right, are being divorced. I mean, I know of two right now already that have even just divorced over the same stuff, that have split over this kind of stuff. Uh, woke ideology, just to name it, right? and post-liberal theology. Um, critical race theory, which is just a guise for, you know, Marxist theory. <laughs> really, it's critical of Marxist theory, but it's basically the same thing. It's confusing. But, um, it's like yeah, there's so the much going on. It's adapting to the culture instead yeah. of influencing the culture. Right. Um, right. And I think it's just been very subtle and sneaky how it's gotten in. Mm-hmm. And it's like the frog in the water. It is. People don't even realize that it's happening mm-hmm. until it's too late. It really is. Do you think it's like, I mean, what's your opinion? Where it's yeah. coming from? Is it coming from seminaries? I mean, that's sort of my guess, but I don't know. I'm just wondering what you're Big time. I think you're spot on. You now, it's not it? only that, but definitely that's the main perpetrator of it, I would say. So, yeah, sorry. Even college. Yeah. Secular colleges. Right. But but where they're training pastors, right? That's especially there. Secular colleges? I'm not sure it's secular colleges. Secular colleges is where it started, and then they transported it to the seminary. Yeah, well, colleges are probably the scarier place than secular colleges. You don't Mm -hmm. expect the gospel at the the Clemson University. You do at Covenant. But, But I think what we're saying is your kids go to these you know, you, you've raised your kids to be reformed and everything, and then they go off to college, and they're, everything that they grew up believing has been dis- dismantled, and then they're, mm. they're lost, and then, you know, but and, I mean, the, and then there you go. Right. I mean, the liberals know that wherever there's a center of learning, that's where they go. You know, that, yeah. that's where you get into that, and then, then yeah. the, the virus spreads. Sure. You know? 
Well, that's exactly, I'm sorry, can I go? No, that's but, what's going on. Yeah, it really is. And honestly, that's actually exactly where liberalism, or again, modernism started, was mostly in Germany, at Marburg especially. Uh, there were a few other universities as well, but definitely Marburg University, where both Machen and Karl Barth went for a year to study, because that's the place you were supposed to go, you know. Um, yeah, go ahead. So in the 1920s, what did modernism, what did liberalism look like yeah. uh, in the churches in Germany? Yeah. Uh, you know, if you could talk to that a little bit and kind of compare it to how it has evolved to what we're seeing and what we've been talking about at large today. Yeah, yeah. So I'll put it this way, I tend to be very practical. And so um, a year ago, year and a half ago now, I uh, was dating a very godly girl. Uh, I won't say her name or anything. Um, but uh, uh, honestly, she actually had been raised in Germany. And, you know, of course, I'm talking about a century later, right? But was surrounded by this kind of theology. Like, almost all the churches were very liberal at that point. And, and, and she, along with her parents, were actually missionaries. I mean, wonderful, godly people. I have the highest respect for them. But they were in the thick of it. And I heard stories from her even about how even a century later, how it was just so bad to say in terms of, like, what they were teaching, right? Because it's just so, again, divorced of the actual Bible and the Bible. Just was it basically in a, a state church or was it a, an independent church? They, I'm not totally sure of their context, but the state church is very big. At least I know yeah. it was, especially back in Nation's day. Uh, the Reformed churches and Lutheran churches actually had merged in Germany in a lot of cases. Not all of them, but a lot of them during Nation's day in the 1920s, um, even before that. <clears throat> so um, a lot of them had just kind of compromised. And, and it was the uh, idea of basically ecumenicism, you know, where you kind of combine the different denominations. Oh, it's like, we're all believers, let's kind of get back together. And there is a lot of, I mean, I think the heart of it is fine, you know, like let's actually like reach across the aisle to our Baptist brothers or to our Methodist sisters, et cetera. Like, I think the heart of that's fine, but when you start compromising your theology and like the Westminster Confession, for instance, you start saying, oh, we really don't need this. Let's go ahead and, you know, again, um, kind of merge our theologies together. That's where a lot of things fall by the wayside. And that's what was happening. For the sake of unity in the church, especially in Germany, the continent of Europe, um, a lot of that was going on to the point where basically it's like, hey, unity at all costs. And what really happened was what the scriptures say. It's, it's peace, peace, where there really is no peace. Is it that what's going on with progressivism in the church now? It's unity at all costs. It's not unity with the Methodists. It's unity right. with the world. Exactly. And that, that's it right there. Back then, it was definitely you know unity with, and I should qualify this admittedly, it was unity with the scientists, right? You know, unity with those who are pursuing knowledge. I mean, at the basic level, you know, scientia, right? The pursuit of knowledge, right? Now, of course, it's not bad. We, we know that. Like, we're not, like, anti-science by any means. <laughs> we're not like, oh, we hate intellect, we hate knowledge. Not at all. Rather, no, we just recognize that the Bible is the source of, of this. Like, it's, it's the source of what we ought to believe, right, as our confession tells us. Like, what we are to know about God and what duties he requires of us. Like, it's our source of these things. Um, and so, yeah, but what happened with the liberal church 100 years ago was essentially hey, you know, we see these evolutionary theories, we see um, this, this pursuit of, uh, again, modernism, also called rationalism back then as well. You know, nowadays what we would call it is genuinely irrationalism, and what we're living right now, <laughs> I mean, pun intended, but it's genuinely called irrationalism. Postmodernism is irrationalism. Meaning, let's actually, you know, remove uh, the concrete facts, which is what modernism is going for. 
Now let's replace concrete facts with felt feelings and, and, and our experiences and whatnot. And that's what we're living in now, you know, postmodern, postliberal, irrational thinking. You, you call it postmodern and postliberal. Yeah. Um, as you look back over the hundred years, <clears throat> was there a time where, okay, they, there, there was a noticeable abandonment of this liberalism where they went back to orthodoxy, mm. or has it been just a continual, gradual decline yeah. into uh, yeah, into oblivion? Into oblivion. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, there was definitely uh, several, thankfully, and, and praise the Lord truly for this, several moments where um, the church stood in the gap and tried to fight this downward trend. For instance, it happened, and I believe it was 1898, when uh, Charles Briggs, a Presbyterian pastor, um, I want to say he was at Yale, but I forget right now where he was at. Uh, my, actually, I'm sorry, I think it was Union Seminary in New York. But 1898, he was actually put on trial as a Presbyterian minister for literally just questioning if Scripture was inerrant or not, you know, if it had errors or not, right? And back then, late 1800s, they were like, no, 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 like, we're going to have to actually kick you out if you, if you don't abide by this. Like, it, out of love, of course, for you, but, like, if you can't, like, with good faith, preach that the Bible is without error, it's God's word, like, we're going to have to remove you, right? Um, so they actually did, like, you know, thankfully the Presbyterian Church voted on that, and try to remove that from their midst. But within 10 years, you know, actually a little more than 10 years, there was this thing called the Auburn Affirmation that basically went ahead and said the exact opposite. No, it's okay for ministers to, you know, question these things, and it's okay if they don't believe in the miracles of Jesus or his resurrection from the dead. Like, we'll still ordain them anyway. So it's just, it's crazy how quickly it just rapidly declined into oblivion, especially during Nation's Day. Now, thankfully during that same time, especially within the Presbyterian Church, you have what we know of as the fundamentalist modernist controversy that was happening. Um, so you had many men, thankfully not just Presbyterians, but a lot of Baptists as well, uh, mostly those two denominations though, Baptists and Presbyterians, who basically said, look, like, we will unify, like, yes, we differ, but we'll unify over the fundamentals of the faith, again, at all costs. And so they basically said, hey, we're gonna actually pull out of these mainline denominations, and uh, hence why the OPC was born, you know, as Machen was helping to start that. Eventually the PCA was born out of the same things in the South in 1973. Um, the EPC in the North, 1983. Um, you know, the ARP thankfully was pretty solid all the way through. They went liberal for a while and then came back to conservatism about 50 years ago or so. But um, yeah, basically in all the Baptists, of course, like they split over liberalism and, and you know, fundamentalism as well. Um, Liberty University, where I went to school and worked for about 10 years and whatnot. Um, it's in my backyard, <laughs> quite literally, here in Lynchburg. Um, they were born out of the same kind of controversy, too. You know, Jerry Falwell is a fundamentalist, and at all costs, we will not ever teach that stuff, right? And so they were very fundamental in their thinking. The problem, and I do have to say this, because Machen said it big time as well, is that in my opinion, and definitely Majin's opinion, the fundamentalists took it too far. Uh, they divided over almost everything, and amongst themselves even more, <laughs> and even more. A lot of people got hurt, still get hurt in these independent fundamental kind of circles, right, to this day. A lot of, a lot of spiritual abuse, a lot of hurt and heartache in those circles. Not all of them, but a lot of them. 
And I know far too many people personally, family, friends, etc., who have been hurt because of, honestly, the legalism that was produced in those camps. Very, very, very legalistic. To the point where they were adding so many things to the Bible. Don't drink, don't chew, don't hang with those who do kind of stuff, right? Those things were born out of this. They were actually born out of this. An overreaction. It was an overreaction. So Machen himself basically said, look, I didn't want to be called a fundamentalist. I mean, he's, he's, you know, he actually said that many times. He goes, I am not a fundamentalist. Like, I would definitely align myself with them if I had to choose one or the other. But, like, I am not that extreme. I'm, I'm just, it's the Bible. It's the Bible, come on. Um, those were those so, yeah. were examples of virtue signaling. Yeah. And the liberals have the same thing. Yeah. They have their virtue signaling. Yeah. 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 You know, well, you can't be using religion as well. Virtue signaling. Do you mind kind of explaining that? Oh, that's, where, that's like um, you were doing something to show, like I'm, I'm going to do something to show I'm not a racist. Right. Um, not because you genuinely believe it, but I'm just going right. to show you how virtuous I am by, or for right. instance, I'm going to show you how virtuous I am by saying you, you, they, and all that instead of mm. Mr. or Mrs. Yeah. Yeah. Right, right. Your or I'm so virtuous, I'm, I'm so good that I'm going to make sure I only wear dresses down to my ankle and you'll never catch me with a dress right. that's that too. I mean, it, it, you can't right. become so progressive. You particularly are. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> that's the problem already. Okay, okay. I'm glad you put that out there. Uh, <laughs> There's air in the room again. This is circle. I mean, you're on a course, and you Absolutely. can go too far left and right, and just circle back around. But you become yeah. so grace-oriented yeah. that you become a legalist, right? Based yeah. on grace. I mean, that is what we have to fall. Our religion is being nice or something. Much. Yeah, we can be so so anti-legalist that we are uh -huh. really legalist about being anti-legalist. Exactly. It sounds crazy, but it's yeah. no, it's, it's true. because that's what we want to do. Is because it, it ain't our human nature is we want to earn our salvation. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's like the okay. we want to virtue signal because that proves that I'm better than you because that's really right. what we want to do. It's all pride is we want to be God. Really we want to prove that we are right and we're better than everybody else. And yeah. It is really hard when we're like careful about we're leaving the. A denomination mm. or like it, it, progressivism that's coming through. We make, mm. you know, we, we do have to divorce any. We have to be very careful that we're not, yeah, that we're not prideful about that as well. Amen. That, you know, that we're doing it for the reasons we said that we're not just, yeah, better than those guys that seem really dumb. But right, it's hard. Oh, for sure, and, and well said. I mean, seriously, that that preaches right there. Um, it really does preach, and thank you for sharing that. And and there's a right time. <laughs> Think of Ecclesiastes as a right thing for those things under the sun. You know, time to pick up stones, time to put them down kind of thing, right? This was Machen under trial. Um, I think it was 36, I believe. Sorry, I know it's really hard to read that. It's an old newspaper clipping. Um, but I believe it was 36, though, 1936. Um, so this is like a year before you die. Yeah, yeah. So this is when, basically, he was being defrocked from the PCUSA. Uh, basically, he was his credentials were removed because he was not bending the knee to liberalism. He was under fire. He had a friend nearby, several elders who were right there, and basically, I mean, you see it. I mean, this, the kind of odd look, I mean, deer in the headlights kind of look right on his face. I mean, at least I, I see that. Um, there aren't too many pictures and everything like that of Machen, but actually, I have like one video from Westminster Seminary of him at uh, Fuller's wedding. Like he was just he used to like roll with all the big guys, right? But he was at Fuller's wedding. I think at you know Fuller Seminary and all. But um, you know the look on his face right here is totally not like him, at least from other pictures and whatnot that we have on on record. 
This is very unlike him. Deer in the headlights. Um, who's going to stand with me? I mean, being removed from preaching the gospel, can you imagine? Mm-hmm. Right? <laughs> About to go into trial. Like, what, yeah. what, what were their charges? Or what? So, that's a really good question. So they, what they used, because there's always some loophole, right? It wasn't, hey, you're preaching the gospel, because a lot of them did. Uh, Clarence McCartney and so many others, and the majority of them actually did. They were faithful. What they got him for was that he had started his own conservative missionary organization called the Independent Board for Presbyterian and Foreign Missions. Except the uh, the one female. Uh, yeah, yeah. Who's actually from Lynchburg, by the way? Yeah. Well, I So, um, yeah. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm blanking on her name right now. Go figure. Um, yeah, former missionary to China. Uh, it'll come to me later on. But she's right. Uh, she has a little memorial right across from uh, Randolph College. Uh, oh, it's gonna bug me now. So I can I can picture it too. Uh, Pearl Pearl Buck. Pearl West Buck. Yeah, yeah, the author and all, right? Yeah. So she was a missionary to China for the PCUSA. I say missionary loosely. Her parents were solid believers, but she did not believe in the resurrection or anything, right? And so she was getting funding, and basically, they were actually friends, Pearl Buck and Machen. Like, they respected each other. But he was like, look, we can't be supporting missionaries like Pearl Buck, who, like, she might mean well, but she's all about social justice. She's not about the cross. She even denies the cross by her own testimony doesn't even believe in the resurrection. And so why are we actually giving money to non-Christian missionaries? And so he ended up starting his own organization to actually support only Christians, go figure, you know, the Independent Board for Presbyterian Poor Missions. And because he did that, that was what they used to basically defrog him. Hey, you went against us. You went against us. Now we're going to go ahead and cut you off. And that was our charge against you was <clears throat> do something without our consent. Okay, we're going to go ahead and get rid of you. So when he left, so many, so many pastors and elders, I mean, dozens and dozens, right? <laughs> dozens of them, <laughs> but uh, as the memes go, um, but dozens of them actually did really, truly come around him. Um, years prior, and so they started the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, 1936. He died a year later. Heartache, I'm sure, right? I mean, all kinds of stress. I mean, I'm positive. He died way too young. I think he was like 56 when he died. Way too young. Um, Did the seeds of this yeah. come from Germany in the late 1800s, the higher criticism, guys like Schleiermacher? Yeah, Schleiermacher. Yeah, Schleiermacher, yeah. that's it. Yeah. And that's sort of where it sort of yeah. started, and then, I don't know, like a dandelion stick goes, and the mm. seeds of it just carried over mm-hmm. in the same exactly. yeah. That's, that's, yeah. yeah, that's the thing. Yeah. Nobody can form a church saying, hey, we deny the gospel and uh, we yeah. deny Christ. Let's form a church in a denomination. Nobody would go to it. No. Satan <laughs> can't create anything. He's got to hijack what God has, has created or what Christians have created. Right. And it's just, yeah. I don't know. It's borrowed capital at best, you know. Yeah. Uh, Van Til, right? From, from yeah. Van Til. You mentioned yeah. Harvard earlier. Yeah. The Harvard started out as a uh, mm-hmm. Puritan. Seminary. They did, so yeah. Then it became a Unitarian Universalist. It's been strongly Unitarian Universalist since mm. the I think, mid or early 1800s. Mm. And, you know, I see so much of this actually coming out of Unitarian Universalism. Was mm. there some sort of a connection going on there? My brother's That's a, a really good question. He's got both feet firmly planted in the water. Did it mean the same thing in the 1800s? I mean, were they included <clears throat> in the 1800s? They were, they were logic. They were logic oriented. Mm-hmm. Jesus could not have risen from the dead. The miracles are, are nonsense. Right. I mean, that's 
basically what happened in the liberalism and the peace. We'll just take to the moral teachings. And yeah, we'll just take the moral teachings and oh yeah, we're gonna create a smorgasbord. We'll take Buddhism right. and Hinduism and whatever we want, just create your own religion. Mm. Jonathan Edwards out of the pulpit. You know, <laughs> the Unitarians, I think. Didn't right, they? I believe so, yeah. You can fact check me on that because I'm not totally sure. Um, yeah, so Schleiermacher right here. I just want to pull this up for you guys. This is Schleiermacher, 1800s. He's the father of liberalism through and through. I mean, theological liberalism. Um, literally, his, his religion, his worldview was literally called a religion of feelings. That was, that was his own description of it, a religion of feelings. <laughs> Fortunately, we don't have that nowadays. I know. I'm so glad we moved beyond that. So glad we moved beyond that. No, it was all about feeling your way to God, right? <laughs> I wish. <laughs> it's all about feeling your way to God. Um, you know, you had, uh, you know, of course, Immanuel Kant, right? So his thing was, uh, you know, he kind of really helped to define irrationalism versus rationalism. So very important philosopher, mostly a philosopher. Um, and of course, you know, you had your theologian in Germany, Schleiermacher, um, which if it helps, by the way, uh, he was both a liar and a mocker of Christianity. So Schleiermacher, if that ever helps to, you know, that way you don't forget his name. Because it's like, how do you remember you the Schleiermacher? <laughs> or Friedrich, right? <laughs> you know, Friedrich Schleiermacher. Daniel Ernst. But yeah, the liar and a mocker of Christianity, Schleiermacher. Because he was German, so you had the SCH right in front of me. <laughs> I'm half German myself. Anyways, um, yeah, and then Wilhelm Hermann, very key player in Marburg. He was the one who actually taught Machen during that year. And Karl Barth, liberalism. Machen rejected it. Karl Barth totally embraced it. And then eventually threw away part of it, but tried to compromise. Again, confusing. And here's Bart. Yeah. Bart later on went on to actually move to the States. Um, you know, he was German, but he taught at Princeton Seminary for a long while. Was extremely influential. I'd say, like, no joke, like, probably, probably the top three, if not maybe the top theologian of the 20th century in America. Like, if you go to any United Methodist Church, any PCUSA church nowadays, like, they probably won't quote these guys. Especially Bart, though. Well, top in terms Especially of the influence he had, not top in terms of faithfulness to Christ. No, no, no. Yeah. But his influence here, influence. right, in the American church was way bigger than Machen's at mm -hmm. the time. But time. Machen will have a lasting legacy. Right, right. Just so you know, Schleiermacher's name means veil maker. Veil maker. Veil maker. That's what Schleiermacher That's, too. That's yeah. See, you give, these guys will tell on themselves if you give them an opportunity. <laughs> I know, I know, it's crazy. So... Now, I do have books. This isn't like a weird pitch or anything. It's just this is where this information is coming from. Um, but this is actually like a discussion guide. I'm actually teaching on this at my church tonight. No joke. So I'll have to like rush off quickly, unfortunately, after lunch. But uh, to actually go teach on more Machen this evening. But, um, but basically, um, you know, Machen did try to respond to this neo-orthodoxy, right, that would later come about. Now, sadly, Bardianism, neo-orthodoxy, um, was developing really mostly after Machen's time. I mean, it was already there through the rise of Karl Barth and Emil Brunner and those kind of guys. But it was, uh, you know, later on in his life, he was being asked by so many younger, you know, ruling elders and teaching elders, please, Machen, can you speak to us? You know, like, we're in our 30s, you're in your 50s. Like, please just, like, pour into us. Like, how do we address these things in our culture? And he honestly didn't know how, because it was just so amoebic at that point. Like, how do we deal with post-liberalism? Not liberalism, but how do we deal with post-liberalism? Because it's already on the rise. He didn't fully know how. Um, now, we have a few writings of his, namely, I think, two at most. Um, one where he actually directly addressed Karl Barth before a room full of Presbyterians. Um, 
And then another like private letter, if I remember correctly, but very short. He used to know how to do it. So he tried to approach it humbly. You know, I think they're Christian brothers. I think they're all right. But like, don't take my word for it. Like definitely do your research, you know. And then he died shortly after. Um, now, thankfully, uh, Cornelius Van Til, who kind of was the main student of Machen, he ended up going to bat <laughs> and doing that on Machen's behalf long after Machen passed all the way until the 1970s when Van Til passed away. Um, so I would definitely recommend any of Van Til's books on Bardianism. In fact, Van Til actually has a book called, very original title, Christianity and Bardianism, <laughs> instead of Christianity and Liberalism, <laughs> where he basically said the same thing. Hey, um, this is dangerous. You know, this post-liberalism stuff, it, it looks fine, but it's not. It's not. Don't, don't give in. Um, but again, like the vast majority, I would say, of evangelicals nowadays in the United States are heavily, heavily influenced by Bardianism. I mean, you'll hear Karl Barth quoted in a lot of pulpits every Sunday to this day, 100 years later. So, yeah. And that's not, you know, be careful, right? Like, be, be uh, wise as serpents, right? Gentle as doves. Like, don't be, like, demonizing everything that's said. Because actually, he did say a lot of really good things, admittedly. But there were also a lot of things that were very, very wrong. I mean, universalism and things like that, right? So, yeah. I've covered a whole lot here. I mean, a whole lot. That's a whole crash course on Majin for you. Are there any questions before we kind of wrap things up? So Majin would have looked at Bart, mm -hmm. and from what you said, mm -hmm. he would have assumed he was a, a, a genuine Christian. Yeah. Yeah. Now, again, whether or not he was, I mean, that's right. for God to decide. But from Majin's estimation, he thought, you know, basically, I think they're Christian brothers. In fact, the gospel that Bart and Brunner and those guys are actually preaching, well, those were just confusing and really confusing, admittedly. They got the message right in many parts, but they got the history wrong. Uh, Bart basically said, hey, we really don't need definitive proof of the resurrection in order to believe it. In fact, even if the resurrection didn't happen, we can still believe the message because the message alone is what saves. And that's what Bart would say, right? And again, yeah, <laughs> the squirming in the seats, right? Again, like they were saying, we really don't need the history. Like that could be right or wrong. What really matters is the message. And do you believe it? But Paul says, if you confess yeah. about Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, if you believe this historical fact and what it means for you personally, both mm -hmm. history and doctrine, right? That's the, that's what your salvation hinges upon. Absolutely. That these things happen yeah. and that they have meaning for you personally. Absolutely. And if it didn't really happen, you were a fool for believing. Exactly. Right. Yes. Yep. Amen. Amen. So I think that was actually just Machen's lack of awareness, honestly. Um, I, I just think he honestly, at that point in his life, he was just too busy with everything going on at Princeton and starting up Westminster, which replaced Princeton in terms of the, the you know, Bible-believing teaching and all. And admittedly, it's actually where I go to school now. Like I'm, I'm working on my doctorate at Westminster. I'm almost done with that. Um, so there's, there's a lot of just good things that have come out of, of course, Westminster in lieu of Princeton's demise. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, I don't think Nation had enough time, sadly, to actually truly delve into post-liberalism and Bartonism. I was listening to John Gerstner uh, mm. speak one time, and mm -hmm. this was in the early 90s, and he was mm. you know, addressing yeah. Bartian doctrine. He says, I think... Ultimately, in his heart, Bart loved Jesus, but his mm. doctrine was so. You even have in the in the early '90s, Gerstner 
you know, presenting that view. Well, I think he was a Christian. I think he loved Jesus, but you know, his doctrine was. His we have to divorce ourselves from that and right. and, and recover the reformed uh, confession. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And it's hard to assess because, like, he again, Bart and his followers got a lot right. I mean, they got a lot right. I say like eighty-five percent. The eighty-five is not a hundred. <laughs> so. So in 1936, when they had this trial, mm -hmm. what was the outcome of the trial? Mm -hmm. What was uh, Machen's immediate reaction? Yeah. And how did that dovetail with the OPC and Westminster yeah. beginning? That's a really good question, Tom. So basically, it was the, the, the fuel in the fire, that trial. Uh, think, I'm trying to think of who, well, okay, we've been talking a lot about Harry Reader, right? Your dear friend. Imagine Harry Reader getting defrocked from the PCA. Can you imagine what would happen like nowadays if like you know you know what I'm talking about like can you imagine like the uproar right? He was kind of the Harry Reader of that day. I mean, imagine like your favorite preacher, you know, Bible-believing preacher, getting just brutalized on the floor of Presbytery. I'm sorry, General General Assembly, if I remember correctly. There were elements of for everybody. Yeah, that yeah. was actually going through that in his last days. Yeah, didn't know that. Wow, a very humble man, of course. I mean, we've talked a lot about him. But I can't even imagine. I mean, the kind of just the heartache in the church, you know, people that knew him who had listened to his teaching. I mean, he, literally, Mason was doing like a radio broadcast before they were cool. <laughs> Call them podcasts, right? <laughs> but before they were cool, like he was doing radio broadcasts. I mean, all kinds of things. I mean, he was using telegraphs and everything. But that's what Very techie pulled first people time. out of them. Yeah. Out of that. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so when so when he was defrocked, you know, they took away his his ordination, his credentials as a pastor. Well, thankfully, many men and women came around him and said, we're, we're going to stand with you. Like, we're right there with you. And so they started then, you know, the Orthodox Presbyterian Church. A little trivia, it was actually originally the PCA. Uh, it was called the Presbyterian Church of America originally. A little trivia for you. Not in America, but of America. And literally the PCUSA thought, hey, um, that's too close to our name. We can sue you. So you better change that. And so they changed it to Orthodox Presbyterian Church instead. So, so Machen started that. Um, sadly, there was a lot of infighting because of just the fundamental kind of mentality. You know, it was the whole us against the world. So within a few short years, they split. Um, the Bible Presbyterians pulled off because they wanted to be teetotalers and they thought it was a sin to drink alcohol. So therefore, we're going to split from you and the OPC. And the Bible Presbyterian Church eventually split again into the uh, Reformed Presbyterian Church Evangelical Synod, of which Schaefer was a part of, and uh, Carl um, uh, McIntyre which eventually then rejoined the PCA later on down the road. So sadly, these splits happen. And, and I guess the big thing, the big question, and I think this is really important for us to discuss, even as we close, really, is when is it right to split and when is it right to stay, mm -hmm. right? You know, when is it right to actually stay the course, right? Stay at Princeton, so to speak. <laughs> Try to solve things from the inside out. And when is it right to do this? Create a whole new institution. Yeah, this is Westminster Seminary. This is called Machen Hall on campus. This was just a couple months ago when I was there last. But when is it right to do this? When is it right to actually pour your money and your resources? Machen, by the way, built this with all of his, or not all, but only his own money. Uh, he was very wealthy. He knew Woodrow Wilson. They were friends. I mean, all this kind of stuff, right? He didn't like Woodrow Wilson, but they were friends, family friends. Um, but, you know, he gave away basically all of his inheritance to, like, people, like, behind the scenes without making a scene. Go figure like people in poverty and need. He gave away a lot of his money to them, and whatever he had left over when he passed, boom, it went right to Westminster Seminary. 
And it's been around ever since, and it's still very faithful, to say the least. Very faithful. Well, certainly. Just but when like, is that the right just thing? Just like what happened to him when they tell you to leave, when they cut you off, that's when it's not moving. Yeah. And when they cut you off. Yeah. 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 Is there yeah. any evidence that the Russian Orthodox Church is going to sue them for calling them the Orthodox Presbyterian Church? <laughs> I don't know. Okay. That's a great question. Such <laughs> the first I've ever heard of that. They're either. probably okay with it. You know? Yeah, I think they're okay. <laughs> or the Greek Orthodox, you know. <laughs> will, will the Greek Orthodox or the Orthodox Church sue the OPC over being called Orthodox? That's funny. I just to say, you just need to have discernment. Because, you know, Christ yeah. does call us to unity. Right. But Christ also calls us to dust our sandals off when yes. we're not. And, and right. you know, we are a fallen, uh, you know, fallen race. Men are fallen. And mm. so it's like a, it's, we, we have a hard time divorcing our personal pride and our wants sometimes with Christ. I mean, that, that we are still, yeah. our best things we do are just filthy rags. Mm. But sometimes we really do need to be true to Christ. And when they're calling you to do things that are not true to Christ, it is time to go. Right. And, and at that point, I love when Christ says, you know, that idea of, you know, dusting off your singles, right? One of the key things that he says right there is let your peace return to you. Mm-hmm. And that, that's powerful. That's very pastoral. Mm-hmm. Let your peace return to you, right? Because you extended it in the first place. And they rejected it. Okay. Like, that hurts. But I'm going to go ahead and let that return to me. And I'm going to move forward in faith and good conscience and peacefulness. The bond of peace that only the Spirit gives as we move forward. Um, Did you bring in those books with you? Uh, A couple of them, yeah. I just have two copies here. He's too humble to sell these, so I'll sell them for him. So this is is his book. It started out as his... Yeah, uh, thesis originally yeah. on Mason. <laughs> and it's uh, yeah. into a self-published book. So if you want to purchase one of these, and there's a study guide that goes with it as well. So thanks. That's great. Andy, you want to close us in prayer? Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you for this Lord's Day where we can assemble together for the public corporate worship of God. And we thank you so much for bringing Pastor Rich Brown to us for this uh, excellent and informative <clears throat> teaching on uh, the history of uh, Christianity versus liberalism and the legacy of Machen uh, in this country, Lord. And Heavenly Father, we just pray that you would uh, enable us uh, and encourage us and equip us to stand firm against uh, the bitter fruit of the liberalism that we see investing in the church that ha- took seed back in this country 100 years ago, and it's still um, bearing its bitter fruit. Heavenly Father, please make us Christians who will stand firm for the truth, stand firm for the history and the doctrine of Mm -hmm. our uh, one common faith, Lord. Uh, Please make us both soldiers for Christ and ambassadors for Christ to stand firm and to advance your kingdom throughout the world through the preaching and um, proclamation of your gospel throughout the world and here in Greenville. Please bless us as we go forward now to receive sacraments and to be ministered to the ministry of word and sacrament. And uh, thank you so much for uh, your presence with us this Lord's day. We praise you and thank you through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Amen.